welcome to the Climate Minute, your source for insight and perspective on global warming news. Today we'll listen to another cross post with our, from our, our friends at Franklin Matters. We touch on a lot of different topics, not the least of which being carbon offsets and what the heck they mean, what they are. So I hope you enjoy. Carbon offset is something you buy, uh, you can pay for, which is supposed to either through natural causes or other things, typically is growing trees and maintaining forests that capture carbon. That's supposed to offset the carbon that you emitted in what, in your activities of driving your car or whatever. Sherlock here for Franklin Matters, Franklin Public Radio, anywhere on the internet, WFPR.FM, and in the local Franklin Mass FM radio dial 102.9. Here today for another session of Making Sense of Climate with my climate guide, Ted McIntyre. Ted, how are you doing this Monday? I'm doing pretty good. Late August, and it's uh, today's a hot one, but it's been nice and sort of hints of fall coming i've I've noticed cooler in the morning have you noticed that cooler in yes. the morning and then warm during the day that's especially good. this past weekend after the front kind of went through the weekend turned out rather nice and yeah i'm looking forward i for me the optimal range is kind of between 50 and 70 i don't like the 80s 90s i don't need especially with the humidity mm, no thanks <laughs> i got news for you bad news for you. <laughs> you do oh my yeah. <laughs> Is that something related to like the headlines we've been seeing around here? I tell you, it could be, could be. I mean, there's all kinds of uh, continuing discussion about, is this the hottest year on record? What does that mean? Hottest mm-hmm. year for X number of thousands of years, blah, 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 blah. But bottom line is it's it's warm and getting warmer. And there's lots of implications of that warmth. When the border gets yeah. warm, moisture gets into the air, it rains more. Go figure. Go figure. <laughs> right. Go figure. And then there's more and more of the extremes that we're seeing. So tornadoes, forest fires, hurricanes, it's, you know, the extremes are just the, the the headlines of any newspaper. I don't think there's been a a day where something wasn't happening around the world. Well, there was I saw a tweet last night from david abel at the globe basically i guess i i don't get the hard copy of the globe but there were three climate stories on the front page of the, yes. the boston globe um today yep. and there you go i mean it's uh yeah i mean it's a really interesting interesting question about your human perception of weather and weather extremes i think climatologists i think i believe define climate as being the last 30 years of weather Right. That's what defines a climate. And so if that over the course of time, the climate's creeping. Right. You get a new norm. And the the other questions I have is so just I mean, I think that it's useful to review things like the Maui fire, the hurricane in California, tornadoes around Franklin. I mean, these things, they are presented on the news media as. Oh my God! What you know? One of uh, what a crazy, crazy weather we're having, right? Mm-hmm. And then they, everyone just moves on. I think that that is—it's a tricky one because if you take the instance of tornadoes near Franklin, so recently in the past, I think it was last Friday or recently, 
there was a bunch of like three or four tornadoes that touched down. Yeah, three in Mass, one in Rhode Island. Yeah, around around our town, right? Yep, four and, official tornadoes. And the question to is the definition. Yep. So the climate hawk in me jumps up and down and says, "Oh my God, climate change!" Right? Uh, fact is, tornadoes are not entirely strange to New England, right? They have happened. Tornadoes, yeah. right? I mean, they, they, they've been, they've won from like 1670, right? This report yeah. from a, of a tornado in Cambridge, yeah. right? So it's not, but but the, the, everything is shifting. And, and, and it seems fair to say that to have, I get, okay, so another point. So put that, put a pin in that. The other point is that in 2023, we have much better understanding and the internet tubes and everything. So we know every little event. So the idea that there were four tornadoes around Franklin might have gone unnoticed 30, 50 years ago. The mass of people might not have seen it. Mm -hmm. So there's all these things that come into play to say, are we getting warmer? Is it crazier? Is it not? And this specific, and, and, and then the third thing, so you get one now, third pin on the wall, I am rereading this book we may have heard of called uh, The End of Nature by Bill McKibben. Right? Oh, and right. The, yep. the thesis of The End of Nature is that men, humans, um, in various ways, but in most particularly in terms of climate change, have changed our conceptions of what nature is from something that is untamable to something that we are impacting. Right? So that's the third thing. When you look at you know, a bunch of tornadoes around Franklin, you say, well, am I just more aware of them? Uh, are they occurring at the same frequency? Are I just more aware of them? Or has humankind made these things more likely because the weather's warmer? Mm -hmm. right? And I think the answer is yes to all of it. Right? It's, probably, it's probably there have been tornadoes in the past, but I mean, your gut, which is a pretty good instinct, a pretty good thing to follow here says, yeah, something's changing mm -hmm. and it's not good. I mean, is that yeah. a plausible argument? I I would follow it, at least on a couple of points so I can corroborate that. And we talked offline that we both, 1953 was a famous year, and it was famous as well for a tornado that hit and destroyed at least a portion of the Assumption campus. Um, I went to Assumption, so as I was going there in the mid-70s, they were reminding that uh, us of that and periodically during the, my years there. So that was 53, and clearly I wasn't even in Franklin at the time, but in Rhode Island, that didn't really make the papers that I recall. Um, so the internet, yes, certainly makes news anywhere that much more accessible, available, and to a certain extent, you know, eyeball catching, because that's part of the media. The media, is, unfortunately, is also looking for ad, ad, ad revenue, because there are other revenue sources that are going away, so they're... If it bleeds, it leads kind of, right? They're doing more and more of that, which is a struggle for us then to kind of like sort through, okay, what is the reality of that? And then there are some sources that yeah, at least you and I have shared here and will continue to share, where when you look at the scientific data, the trend is, I would undeniable. say clearly, <laughs> it's undeniable that it's going the wrong way in terms of our livability in this planet. If we want that 50 to 70 degrees for a nice August day, the odds of that happening in the future are getting less and less and less. And it's, yo, it's, we can look around and see it happening here. I flashed on a image that I saw online the other day 
you've heard everyone's heard of the bell curve right yeah. which is a curve is shaped mm -hmm. like a bell there's the average the in normal it. distribution the normal distribution for those of you who have taken statistics right it is i mean the issue is that if you think of the temperature each day over the course of a year is laid out on a bell curve right there's an average and there's a there's two wings you know high temperature and low temperature the argument is that the that bell curve the average temperature shifts to higher temperatures mm -hmm. right so now the whole bell moves to the right and you have more likelihood of higher temperature days it's just that's just the laws of probability and that's one way to think about the way the weather behaved right that because humans have interacted with climate and in nature so to speak i mean we just you don't know anymore what impact humans have what's natural and this bell curve is giving us more and more uh, hot days, therefore thunderstorms, yada yada. But I think I think the, the, a segue over to the other two sort of things to recognize when you're talking, looking at stuff, and thinking, oh, is this a one-of? Is this a unique event that will never be repeated? We've got two things. Everyone's familiar now with the the fires in Maui, which were mm -hmm. horrifically. I mean. I grew up in New Bedford. When I visited Hawaii the one time, I went to Lahaina, and in Lahaina town, there was a museum in which were logs of sailors from the whale men from New Bedford being in Hawaii in the 1810s or something, right? Mm -hmm. So that's yep. all burned up now. But the problem is that between the climate and the human interaction, where they turned that whole island into a dry, took all the water to grow sugar and pineapples and stuff, and you know, that's, that's an event. But then the other thing is the hurricane that is currently lambasting Los Angeles and dumping f five inches of rain on, well, there was an image of the, the Dodger, Dodger Stadium is oh, basically yeah. all the parking lot flooded around it. Mm -hmm. Man, that's not good. No. And those are the, the, the uniqueness or the rarity of a hurricane on the in the eastern pacific which of course which is western mexico borders on the eastern pacific right that a hurricane should turn and go north there instead of heading out towards hawaii is a client they, they can it can justify it in terms of climate stuff that like the heat dome in the midwest is setting up winds that are pushing the, the storm northward and the ocean temperatures are higher and that's the the energy the storm gets so you may or may not hear much about it on the evening news. You'll certainly hear nothing about it on Fox, but I mean, these are climate things and the more rare and unique and stunningly wild something is, the more you should be thinking, ah, new normal of climate change. Right? So one of the articles I saw just in the last couple of hours, it's already speculating that, well, how much will Lake Mead and uh, Lake Powell ra rise their levels with the rain that's now going to be going up through those valleys and then filtering down into the Colorado, et cetera, as if that's a solution to the problem. <laughs> right, 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 right. It's short term as well. <laughs> and, yeah, you can just you can just imagine that that you should use the word filtering, but that water you put six inches of rain onto a desert, it doesn't filter. It just you know it just runs, runs runs off, right? You get horrific damage from it 
Yeah. So yeah. don't be near the first floods of those because um, that's going to be carrying all whatever is loose with mm. it. Mm -hmm. And then after that gets cleared, then it will be kind of a water thing. But the water power by that point is just it's it's beyond my comprehension. I don't want to be anywhere near there. Please. No, <laughs> that's it's but, sad. Back to the Maui piece. I mean, th for that environment, which certainly has evolved over time to be a tourist operation. Now they're going to have to rebuild an entire city. Do they even have the building capacity, i.e. all the trades and the people and the supplies and the supply stream in order to do that? That's going to take years for that to really come back. Well, I've seen stuff that says there are the real estate developers in the Lahaina area are already trying to buy out. Sure normal people so they can put in movie star homes in Lahaina and that just it's right. it's right again it speaks so I mean this sort of disaster capitalism which connects to climate stuff right when something really really bad happens people with money and power are often in a position mm -hmm. to take advantage of it right right and where's, you, where's the justice we, to that where's the justice in that right we need to be on guard as things get wilder and wilder that we're not uh, that we're doing the right thing. I mean, mm -hmm. however you define that, you got to be conscious of these kind of effects. Right. Yeah. And certainly I think line is a good case where to the extent that the Hawaiian heritage, a lot of the heritage artifacts, et cetera, generally are gone is based on what we're hearing now. So, but it's still ancestral land and there's still that natural connection to the land. And if they're, heaven forbid and then maybe it's an individual choice and maybe it's the best choice for an individual family to just take the money and go out but on the other hand you know <laughs> that's going to change that entire area oh, yeah. potentially yeah. and that's that's yeah there's there's some economic consequences there there's certainly some cultural consequences there too so and i, I mean I, I think that it is it's relevant in a relevant to talk about hawaii in a podcast about climate in, in Massachusetts, because all this stuff is going to come around, right? Mm -hmm. What happens in, in everything happens there is going to happen here, right? Or something similar. And there are lessons to be learned everywhere because we're all in the, what do they say? We're all in the same boat. Uh, just some it's of just, us have, you know, <laughs> have better seating than others. And uh, yeah, and case in point with the water continuing to rise i mean we've already had and i'm sure you've been along the waterfront in boston where you couldn't walk along the waterfront because the high tide was over and more or less ankle deep by the federal courthouse at some yeah. point in time that's going to be foot you know maybe waist deep and then right. what is it going to do to the other buildings and the access to that business etc i mean boston we know especially the back bay piece that was all filled in, right? At some point in time in the colonial days, that was just natural water. You know, as swampy, we talked, swampy as we talked with Brackalai, Goodlander. You know, that was the that was doing carbon capture in its oakiness, right? Trees yeah. do some yeah. carbon capture, but the swampy lands actually do more. That's all gone. And now we're gonna <laughs> co pay the Pay the piper for it. Pay the piper for it, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think that, I mean, all the, the, being aware of these these issues and implications of stuff that happens in other places is good to have in your toolkit as you think about these things. 
Yeah, so rather than dwelling on some of the other bad headlines, <laughs> we'll kind of shift a little bit. Because, um, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's the reality. There are bad headlines out there. But Well, and, and let me just, before we, before, it's not a bad headline, but I think it's important to, no one should uh, succumb to despair because, I mean, the headlines are bad, all this kind of stuff's happening, but every tenth of a degree of temperature rise matters, right? Mm -hmm. There's no, we talk about, you know, stopping temperature rise at one and a half degrees. Well, 1.4 would be better. 1.6 is less good than 1.5, but it's better than 1.7. So this is continuous thing that we have to be on, even in the face of uh, what appear to be distressing news and I should just uh, stimulate us to think more carefully about things. Yeah, the distressing news, I think, gives us more of that call to action, which is one of the things that we've tried to end <laughs> these sessions with. Um, and the news on the Montana lawsuit was one place where, you know, some youth took the time, spent the effort, filed a lawsuit, and and ended up winning so kudos to them it's a fascinating story and you know i uh uh let me just shameless self-promotion we did a the climate minute we did a podcast on this with someone who is working for green amendments across the country mm -hmm. right so I, i'll give you the link but here's the deal in montana sometime in the 1970s as did Massachusetts, we will say parenthetically, as did Massachusetts, the state of Montana included in their constitution protections, a right to a healthy environment. So I don't have the exact language, but in the Montana state constitution, you as a person have a right to a healthy environment. And these, they say kids, I mean, the high school kids, there's a range of kids that are probably all under 20 were, uh, taken up in a in a suit suing the state of Montana because the state of Montana had they had passed a law saying that basically fast tracking coal mines and fossil fuel installations and explicitly saying that climate change could not be taken into account in the environmental review of say a coal mine Right. You could you could worry about whether or not there would be poison dumped in the, in the neighbor's lot kind of from your coal mine, but you couldn't talk about climate change. And these group of youth sued, basically saying that was a violation of their constitutional right, uh, that the state was not taking into account, that the state needed to take into account climate change because that was the right thing to do to satisfy mm -hmm. the uh, the Constitution and the judge sure. agreed with them. And yeah. this is the first time out of a bunch of attempts that there's actually been a court case where um, actual data, actual scientists got to testify. Because in the past, these kinds of cases, I, there's, I've got some uh, memory of what the different kind of cases were, but th they never got to trial where a scientist could be under oath saying, yeah, this is what the facts settled are. Settled off to the side with some deal. Yeah, it, it was, or just not given standing, as they say. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, well, that's a whole other thing. I, I remind me, there's a whole other thing with us <laughs> about standing. Uh, as if but, we're la lacking for topics. <laughs> as if we're lacking for topics, right. But the, the, this lawsuit in Montana succeeded, and now the state of Montana has to take climate change into, into account in um, citing energy projects. 
So it's not a complete victory because they're still doing a lot of bad stuff in Montana and, mm -hmm. and the whole state is geared towards fossil fuel extraction. But my description is this is the thin edge of the wedge, right? You get one case in there, you win it, you set a precedent, then other cases are more uh, likely. So yeah. it turns out that there is another case underway. Maybe you know of it, Steve. I, I don't know, but it's called Juliana is the one of the young Clayton's last name, Juliana. And they they are suing under something called the public trust. The public trust document, which says that the government, this is ancient sort of, you know, uh, Magna Carta kind of rule that says the government is supposed to take care of the public trust, which means taking care of the rivers and, and mm -hmm. the land and stuff, okay? So these folks have sued the United States federal government over this. And they say the federal government is violating the public trust by not, you know, doing the right stuff to take care of climate change. And this has been fought back and forth because the question is, do these kids have standing, right? Do they, as to say, do they have a right to bring a, a court case? Joe Biden, God bless him with the IRA and all that, but the, the U.S., the current administration's DOJ is opposing this suit by the Juliana, the Juliana suit, which against the federal government saying the federal government needs to, under the public trust doc, doctrine, needs to take care of the environment as a duty, they're fighting it. And so if you want something, write your congressman and say that the, or send a, send a tweet to the White House and say, let that, let that Juliana court case go forward. Don't oppose it. Mm -hmm. Because then you would have in federal court, if they could get to trial, um, they could have uh, real scientists come in and f testify in a federal case. And you would also put, say, the fossil fuel people, they would have to come in and under oath say all the crazy hoo-ha that they like to say, right? right. And let's get, them on, uh, let's get them on the record. And so let me just, just go one step farther since we're on a legal, a legal tear. Mm -hmm. I'm not a lawyer, but I play one on a podcast. The, uh, uh, there was... There was a ruling recently, which you may have heard of, about the abortion drug called mif mifepristone. Okay, yep. this is the I saw that headline drug. go by. Yep. And the judge in this case ruled, and this is where the standing comes in. The judge ruled that the doctors who had brought the case to stop distributing the availability of this mifepristone had suffered what the judge calls an aesthetic harm that they they were they were harmed by the fact that they could not see the the happy children who might be born if the myth of Pristone was not used right and this is the guy this is the judge's argument it's kind of wacky but from an environmental standpoint if this gets accepted as a justification for standing we are all have good standing right we're all going to suffer aesthetic harm because the environment is getting screwed up and you can go sue anybody you want because you have standing so mm -hmm. it's just an interesting i mean i as i say i'm not so sure about my my law degree hmm. from, uh, that might from, that might be a slippery slope uh oh yeah in terms of aesthetic standing <laughs> that's why well, i mean people laughing at this guy saying your aesthetic harm really is that what you're claiming is that the basis but there you go oh mm -hmm. I, I just heard it here first right? yeah yeah <laughs> I think in the the legal side, um, there was an interesting article you shared in regards to Liberia uh, selling off its uh, carbon credits, so to speak. So 
we've talked, I think, although we didn't go in great detail because carbon credits are not necessarily something I think really moves us forward in terms of mitigating what we need to do. It, it, if anything, postpones it and allows some other people with money. So there's that other side of the justice piece. Um, make some deals that may not necessarily be good in the long term. Oh yeah, yeah. So so this is, again, I think this is a fascinating story. But before, in order to get the import of it, you have to understand what a carbon offset is. So, dear listener, if you're not familiar with this, a carbon offset is something that you can buy which is supposed to account for carbon you have emitted and so a classic example is that if you get on a jet plane and fly off to uh to uh, san francisco for a weekend right a lot of carbon dioxide is emitted what you see sometimes on the airplane bills now is you can buy a carbon offset what's the carbon offset well the the, the airline says we promise scouts honor we're going to go plant some new trees that mm -hmm. wouldn't have been planted if you hadn't bought this offset. We're going to go plant some new trees, and they're going to grow up big and strong and capture all the carbon that was emitted from your airplane flight. Okay, so net-net, everything's fine. There's a bit of a problem that the, those trees aren't going to be capturing the carbon for another 30 or 40 years, but put that aside, right? Mm -hmm. Carbon offset Carbon offset is something you buy, uh, you can pay for, which is supposed to either through natural causes or other things, typically is growing trees and maintaining forests that capture carbon. That's supposed to offset the carbon that you emitted in what in your activities of driving your car or whatever. So there's lots and lots and lots of problems with the offset, but it, it corporations love it because they can continue doing what they're doing right now, just take some money and say, oh, Scouts Honor, we're going to go buy, plant some trees in uh, in Kansas, and everything's going to be great, right? And they can greenwash themselves by buying these carbon offsets. Okay, fine. That's the idea of a carbon offset. Now you got to fast forward to the next COP, Steve, the conference of the parties that we've had multiple of now. Mm -hmm. The next conference of the parties is going to be in the United Arab Emirates, the, U or the UAE, or somewhere in the Middle East. Okay, let me just put it that way. And it's all run by Mideastern oil people. So there's a fair amount of static online about whether or not this United Nations Climate Conference should ever be chaired by a petrostate. Okay, that's just a fact. Turns out that the United Arab Emirates, in order to sort of greenwash itself in preparation for this COP27, the Conference of the Parties United Nations meeting, they want to get some offsets. So what do they, what does the UAE do? They march across Africa and go to a country called Liberia, which is, I, I guess I don't know, but I think it's probably mostly jungle, mostly mm -hmm. dense growth. And they say, uh, Liberia, we got a deal for you. You give us 30% of your land that's capturing carbon dioxide, and we're going to claim that as our virtue in the United Arab Emirates. We're going to continue selling fossil fuels and doing all of our bad stuff. We're going to use your forest for to say that we're offsetting, we're accounting for all the bad that's capturing all the carbon dioxide we're emitting, and we're going to pay you a certain amount of money, but for the next 30 years, this is ours, which is really weird, right? Because it's like a third of the country, 
from the reports. They haven't really consulted the people that actually live on the land that's being committed. <laughs> uh, but from the from the upper level picture, for me, alarm bells start going off because the classic thing that every Western colonial power did was to get a concession from uh, the the colony that they were in, like mm -hmm. the. England got the concession for the oil in Iraq, right, in the 1910s, mm -hmm. right, because the, England was powerful, Iraq was not powerful, they got the concession, all the oil went out, right? This is, and the classic thing is the concession that the Congo region of Africa gave to King Leopold of Belgium, right, in like for the extraction of rubber from the mm -hmm. Congolese forest, Sure. Right, and if you haven't read King Leopold's Ghost, you got to. I mean, it's a shocking book, right? But again, there was like horrific human rights abuses that I don't want to uh, bring into your brain uh, that they did in order to get rubber for bicycle tires because there was a big bicycle boom at about that time, right? But I mean, this is the same thing. Right? A rich country comes in and buys the resources of a small country for its purposes and basically screws over the small country. And if this is a model for the way carbon offsets and that the world is going to deal with climate change by basically um, colonizing less powerful countries, it's bad news. Well, that's my political, I'm going to take off my political, uh, my, my, uh, my storm the barricades hat for a minute. Mm. Does that, did that explanation make sense? Were there questions that you have? Or, uh... I, it, it made enough sense that I could follow it. Yeah, clearly there's more to the story. And for the other listeners, hopefully you followed along. If not, there'll be a link or two in the show notes so you can follow. And then I'm sure you can continue to do a deep dive and hopefully not get too lost in the weeds. I mean, it's, it's the, the last week, we, the last time we talked, we talked about uh, geoengineering, if I remember, mm. right? And one of the questions was, what world organization is going to make the decisions about who, when, and where, and how we do geoengineering, right? And there is none. Same right. is pretty much true now with these carbon offsets and how are we going to deal with these other impacts of climate change at the global level? Are we just going to let the rich, the rich countries eviscerate the poor countries as we've mm -hmm. always done money 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 wakes up <laughs> money, money money go money. around the world go around right, right? it's uh but it is song. It, anyway it's interesting it was another quote it was interesting along the way to try and bring us back a little bit to some of that <laughs> hopefulness um greenpeace quoted and i will put the link to the article in there the best treatment for climate grief he says is knowing you've made a contribution to reducing emissions or building resilience. So, you know, we've said a few times, action is a good antidote to despair. There's, it's very similar. We've talked about climate grief, <laughs> action. And for us in the local Franklin area, we've spent time in one of our earlier episodes with the Energized Franklin Group. Uh, talked about their entire website. That website is available in a YouTube video as opposed to the podcast stream that we have. Um, but you can go on to Energize Franklin and walk through some of the actions you as an individual can take. To The, Energi uh, the, the, whole, the Energize Franklin site is great in the sense that it offers uh, ideas of things that you can personally do. It offers examples of other people who've already done it, right? And it offers a way to work with your neighbors, I mean, this is kind of a, even to the level of sort of a team competition thing that people mm -hmm. can can be doing uh, uh, 
to try and, and do some of these actions. But it is, yeah. I mean, it, it's a way to educate your intuition about what things need to happen as far as climate change goes. I think that it's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, once you start thinking about some of these things, and a lot of them are, are small and doable, right? They So the actions range from things that you can do in a blink of an eye up to put solar panels on your roof, right? But as mm -hmm. you explore those, all of a sudden, news reports and stuff that you see online start to make a little bit more sense because you begin to put those things into context. Like, you know, what stuff is available in Massachusetts for putting solar panels on your house, right? If you're not going to recognize those articles until you start thinking about it. So that's why I urge you to go to the Energize Mass, uh, the Energize Franklin Energize website. Franklin. Take a yep. look at, uh, take a look at what's there. Yeah, and it can be as simple as just clicking to find out info. It can be a little bit more active in terms of instead of getting a, a Big Mac, you know, getting a vegan burger once a week. That's a step of a climate action. And then you can go beyond that, certainly. Uh, electrical vehicles, you talked about solar systems. I think we discussed as well as over 400 solar systems installed in Franklin homes to date. Now, yeah. I know there was that one solar project that I think achieved 100 of them, but and that was at a period of time. And since then, we've continued to grow solar systems. So that's all goodness. We're still a ways from where we need to be, but at least we're making some steps. <laughs> well, and I think to, to the point, I saw an article that the Inflation Reduction Act, the weirdly named climate bill from right. a year ago, that money available to households is finally starting to be released. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, in addition to the state funds, I believe that you can get federal funds to do some of these upgrades. If you look at the Energize web Energize Franklin website and say, oh, I want to I want to get a rebate from the feds and from the state to put mm -hmm. a heat pump in my house, all of a sudden you say, well, wait a minute, this is really confusing. I need a single point of contact, right? Mm -hmm. Which comes back to the state plan to offer you a single point of contact to help figure out where you can get all the money to do the right thing, right? And all of a sudden, if you're looking at the Energize Franklin website, it clicks that this is a good thing, right? And it's something we should be pushing for. And it gives you another sort of action you can take to be in favor of such a simple-minded thing of uh, uh, you know a guide to help you through the how you get all the rebates to do the right thing in your house and i know that when we talked with our local rep state rep jeff roy in prior episodes he talked about his efforts on mass save which certainly is that one of those vehicles quasi-government org that takes and makes rebates available to us um, I'm getting another mass audit. We've talked about that. You can get those every couple of years. I hadn't had one in a while, so I'm due. I'm going to find out what's available now, and we'll see. And certainly I'll share that if it's appropriate in, in the future episode as to what's yeah. going on yeah. on that front as well. In the meantime, stay cool, dry, calm, collected. Um, try not to spend too much time doom scrolling because the doom scrolling <laughs> is available out there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> And thank you again for spending time today to help me make sense of climate. And hopefully the listeners, thank you for listening. Hopefully this made some sense for you. Um, yes. If you've got any particular topics you want us to address in a future episode, our contact info is there and you can certainly give us a line. Let us know. We appreciate that. So thanks again, Ted. 
We'll catch Thanks you next time. Thanks for being. Time. Yeah, it's been wonderful. I, I, I hope everyone has a stiff upper lip and not uh, depressed. But yeah, there you go. Think yeah. positive thoughts. We're gonna, we're gonna get through this. And quick reminder: we do this because Franklin matters. We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley. The piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tintype Tunes in 2008, and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. And by the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin Matters. So there you have it. Talk to you again soon. Bye-bye. Very cool. <laughs>